1: Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash
2: Wondery.
3: Tonight, a dire warning. Fears of a nuclear accident in Ukraine grow, and the consequences could be grave. Shelling of Europe's largest nuclear power plant sparks international concern of a catastrophe. CBS's Charlie Daggett is in Ukraine tonight. Former President Trump's lawyers are considering whether to release security footage of the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. While former Vice President Mike Pence talks about potentially testifying before the January 6th committee. CBS's Catherine Herridge with the latest. Vanessa Bryant's heartbreaking testimony. Kobe Bryant's widow in court today, talking about the emotional impact of learning first responders, shared graphic photos of the crash that killed her husband and her daughter. CBS's Jonathan Vigliotti is at the courthouse. And a 12-year-old baseball player is out of the ICU taking his first steps as his team pays tribute at the Little League World Series. CBS's Nikki Batiste speaks with his dad.
0: He just keeps defeating the odds, and the only way to explain that is by miracles.
4: This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell,
5: reporting from the nation's capital.
3: Good evening, and thank you all for joining us. I'm Margaret Brennan, in for Nora. Tonight, the U.S. will, for the first time, give Ukraine scan-eagle surveillance drones, mine-resistant vehicles, and mine-clearing equipment to mount a military counteroffensive against Russian forces. A senior defense official tells CBS News that the nearly $800 million package is to help Ukrainian forces regain territory as the war nears its sixth month shelling around a key nuclear plant in Ukraine is drawing international concern. The UN secretary general called today for a demilitarized zone around Europe's largest nuclear power plant, which first came under Russian control back in March. We have a lot of news to get to tonight and CBS's Charlie Dagata will start us off from Kyiv. Good evening to you, Charlie.
1: Good evening to you, Margaret. That arms package can't come quickly enough for field commanders that we've spoken to. And what's already been supplied is making a huge difference on the battlefield. But the main focus today has been rising tensions over that nuclear power plant. Tonight, the threat of a nuclear disaster at Europe's largest nuclear power plant has just gone next level. Ukraine accusing Russia of preparing to stage a false flag incident today. Russia accusing Ukraine of trying to trigger an accident at the complex. Russian forces even ordered employees to stay home, according to Ukraine's state-run energy firm. The brinksmanship follows two weeks of intensive shelling, both sides trading artillery strikes and accusations. The UN secretary general has called the attacks on the plant suicide. If we demilitarize, as we propose, the plant, the problem, will be solved. In an effort to show just how seriously Ukraine is taking the threat. Emergency workers dressed head-to-toe in protective suits in the city of Zaporizhia held nuclear disaster drills, scrubbing down volunteers posing as radiation-exposed victims. A stage-managed performance for the cameras, maybe, but the risks are real. Russian forces captured the plant in the early days of the war back in March, but fighting has escalated drastically this month. Part of an offensive that has seen cities like Kharkiv come under bombardment that's killed dozens of civilians in the past two days alone. But fighting over a frontline nuclear power plant risks catastrophic collateral damage that extends far beyond these battlefields. A dramatic new development tonight comes out of the office of French President Emmanuel Macron following a phone call. Russian President Vladimir Putin has agreed for a team of independent inspectors to visit the plant. Margaret.
3: Charlie Dagata on the ground in Ukraine. A trial is underway against Los Angeles County today regarding gruesome photos taken following the helicopter crash that killed NBA legend Kobe Bryant, his 13-year-old daughter, and seven others. Today, Bryant's widow, Vanessa, took the stand and gave emotional testimony. CBS's Jonathan Bigliotti reports.
4: Vanessa Bryant entered the courthouse looking determined testifying emotionally about grisly photos that were taken, then shared by first responders after the helicopter crash that killed her husband, Kobe, daughter Gianna, and seven others. Bryant says she felt blindsided, devastated, hurt, and betrayed. It's been incredibly emotional. I mean, a lot of people crying because of how important her testimony was. Just weeks after the crash, the LA County Sheriff admitted at least eight deputies had shared graphic photos of the scene. And court documents claim the images appeared on at least 28 department devices. In the lawsuit, Bryant cites emotional distress and invasion of privacy. Attorneys for L.A. County argued that Bryant and other victims' families cannot be suffering distress from accident site photos that they have never seen and that were never publicly disseminated. Vanessa Bryant has rarely appeared in public since her husband's death. She spoke at his memorial.
5: We love you both and miss you forever and always,
3: Mommy.
4: And last year, when Kobe Bryant was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame.
3: Dear Kobe, thank you for being the best husband and father you could possibly be.
4: On the stand, Bryant said she has panic attacks and lives in constant fear that the images will appear online. She was really able to kind of paint a picture for, I think, jurors and for everyone in the courtroom as to how all these events have changed her life. And the lawsuit does not specify a dollar amount. That will be up to a jury to decide. Legal analysts tell me ultimately this case is not about money. It is about a a culpability. Margaret.
3: Jonathan, thank you. There's a tropical storm warning in effect tonight for portions of South Texas. A strong system is moving through the Gulf of Mexico right now. For more, let's bring in Dr. Rick Nabb from our partners at the Weather Channel. Good evening to you, Rick.
5: Well, Margaret, the National Hurricane Center has written advisories now for the first time in a month and a half. This time it's on potential tropical cyclone four, not a depression or storm yet, but expected to become one. We've got tropical storm warnings up for northeastern Mexico and all the way up to Port Mansfield, Texas. That's because we're expecting this to become a tropical storm and make landfall, perhaps in northeastern Mexico, late on Saturday night. And this will bring strong winds and some moisture into south Texas, and this will contribute to flooding farther to the north well into next week. And look at the monsoon in the southwest, which is juiced up by a previous tropical system, and then this one will be coming northward. And over the next few days, flash flooding will be a significant risk in Arizona and New Mexico. And all that moisture headed toward Texas, Margaret.
3: Thank you. Tonight, the Department of Justice is working under a deadline to submit proposed redactions of the affidavit used to authorize the FBI search of former President Trump's Florida home. Here's CBS's Katherine Herridge.
6: Two sources close to the former president tell CBS News his legal team is thinking through how to handle security footage that captured the FBI search at Mar-a-Lago. as speculation builds about the contents of more than two dozen boxes, including 11 sets of classified records on this FBI inventory. The Justice Department now has less than a week to tell a federal judge in Florida what information should be blacked out from an affidavit that justified the search. They have to look through the entire document, go over it with a fine tooth comb, painstakingly meticulously, and meticulously. It's literally on a word by word basis. Tom Dupree is a former senior Justice Department official. I think Americans from all ideological sides want to understand what led the Justice Department to make this momentous, historic decision to go into Mar-a-Lago. People want to know. In this recent court filing, the Justice Department argued that blanking out sensitive investigative information would be so extensive as to render the remaining unsealed text devoid of meaningful content and would not serve any public interest. As the legal battle over the affidavit bills, former Vice President Mike Pence, speaking to reporters in Iowa, again laid out conditions for a possible appearance before the January
3: 6th committee, saying he would consider a formal invitation. Margaret. Those talks with Congress still ongoing. Right. Thank you, Catherine. Today, the highest ranking ISIS terrorist ever to go on trial in the U.S. was sentenced to life in prison. Al Shafi al-Sheikh was convicted of conspiracy in the kidnapping torture, and murders of four American hostages in Syria. Journalist James Foley, Stephen Sotloff, and humanitarian workers Kayla Mueller and Peter Kasig. El Sheikh is one of the so-called Beatles, a name the hostages gave to their captors due to their British accents. Foley's mother welcomed the life sentence but demanded the US do more to bring American hostages home. We
2: must have accountability. We must have justice. And with today's verdict, we finally have a bit of
3: justice. Today's the eighth anniversary of James Foley's beheading. In the courtroom, his mother told El Sheikh, quote, James would want you to know that you did not win. CBS News has obtained an internal message sent by CDC Director Rochelle Walensky to staff this week, in which she acknowledged that the health agency made pretty dramatic pretty public mistakes. Dr. Walensky called it a watershed moment and said the CDC has to make systemic changes to protect the safety, health, and security of all Americans. With the midterm elections less than three months away, some voters are finding themselves in newly drawn congressional districts. And even though many of the maps were found to be illegal in some courts, they'll still be used this time around. CBS's Robert Costa goes in-depth.
5: Powder Springs, Georgia, a majority black community north of Atlanta, has long been represented by a black Democrat in Congress, but not likely for much longer.
4: What they've done is take a predominantly African-American area and combined it up with North Georgia,
5: and so to dilute our strength. Now, Powder Springs will be part of Georgia's 14th district, represented by Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene.
4: We've got to put America first and get this country right back on track.
5: A Trump ally who has been criticized by Democrats and some Republicans for expressing conspiratorial views. The upheaval was caused by the state GOP-controlled legislature, which redrew the lines of the state's political map last year following the census. Green has criticized state Republicans for meddling with her district, but said she welcomes the additions.
4: I'm excited to have them in my district, and we're happy to help, and I hope people give
2: us a call.
5: Many Democrats say the new maps here and nationwide carved by Republican state houses are unfair. The alarm extends to Capitol Hill. I would
7: say they give racial advantage in the guise of giving partisan advantage. They are taking race into account, but not uh, to be fair, not to be inclusive, but to do just the opposite.
5: House Majority Whip James Clyburn is the highest-ranking black lawmaker in Congress. What
7: I think is taking place today is the beginning of a process. Where will it end?
5: And Democrats are facing their own questions about how they have drawn the lines in blue states. They overreached. They attempted to gerrymander uh, the Republican Party out of existence. For now, anger and apprehension remain in places like Georgia, over who was representing who in Washington just weeks ahead of the midterm elections. There was no logical way that Marjorie Taylor Greene could come into Cobb County unless you gerrymandered the district. Ultimately, the Supreme Court could have the final word on just how far state legislatures can go with redistricting. A major case is set to be heard in the coming year to decide how and when state courts can weigh in and reject or accept the way districts are drawn. Robert Costa, CBS News, Atlanta.
3: A Utah Little Leaguer is on the road to recovery, why his dad calls it a miracle. That story in 60 seconds. The first team to represent Utah the Little League World Series played with heavy hearts today after one of their players was severely injured earlier this week. While they lost today's game, there is some good news about their teammate. Here's CBS's Nikki Batiste.
2: It's that swing that landed 12-year-old Easton Oliverson on his field of dreams. The chance to play in this year's Little League World Series.
7: And These kids have been through something really traumatic.
2: But as a Santa Clara, Utah team, the first in the state to ever qualify, played in the tournament today, Oliverson lay in a nearby hospital. Early Monday, he rolled off the top bunk bed while asleep in the Little League's dorms in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, fracturing his skull.
0: They have no explanation as to why he is still alive. He showed every signs of of passing away.
2: Jace Oliverson, Easton's father and the team's assistant coach, says his son's brain injury was so severe he was minutes from death. But a few days after emergency surgery, Oliverson is starting to eat and talk again. So good, Easton. Today, he took his first steps.
0: He asked me if he was able to play on Friday, and I was like, I'm sorry, bud, you can't. You got to be here and get better and just... The pure sadness coming out of his eyes and his facial expressions, it's, it's so heart-wrenching. We dedicate this entire broadcast to the continued improvement of Easton Oliverson.
2: And this afternoon, after a pre-game tribute, 10-year-old Brogan Oliverson stepped in to take his big brother's place on the roster.
0: Driving here with my other son, knowing that he's gonna get to play for his bro, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, it, it is absolutely
7: incredible.
2: The Little League says the bunk beds do not have guardrails and they have all been removed from the dorms. One of Easton's doctors tells me tonight he is in fair condition and he is expected to make a near complete
3: recovery. Margaret. That's incredible. Thank you, Nikki. Still ahead, a massive fire at a Massachusetts boatyard. Tonight, the nation's largest private employer has jumped into the abortion debate. Walmart is expanding abortion coverage for workers in limited cases. It will also pick up some expenses for those who have to travel more than 100 miles for the procedure. A devastating fire tore through a southern Massachusetts boatyard today. Boats, cars and buildings went up in flames. Firefighters say several people were seriously burned. The thick black smoke was even picked up on weather radar and the cause is now under investigation. On the Road is next with perhaps the greatest assist in the history of basketball. We often hear that there are more important things in life than winning or losing a game, and if you need proof, here's CBS's Steve Hartman on the road.
7: Not many people get to return to the scene of their death, but earlier this month, John Scully of Rochester, New York stepped back into the gym where his time expired. That's the last thing I saw right there, 246. Do you recognize this at all? John is a basketball referee. (laughs) They cut it, right? It's my jersey. Back in June, John was officiating a semi-pro game between the Jamestown Jackals and Toledo Glass City. That's him on the near side, seconds before his heart attack. The deadliest kind of heart attack, called a widow maker. Doctors told John's fiance, Donna, almost no one survives it.
2: Yeah, 1% of the population,
3: and he's that
7: 1%.
0: I was in the right place at the right
7: time.
5: I mean, that's why I'm here.
7: Within seconds, a Toledo player named Miles Copeland rushed to his side and started doing CPR.
5: I have never witnessed uh, someone just collapse, but uh, I knew
7: what had to be done. Turns out the Toledo forward is also a Toledo firefighter, a brand new one, just a year out of the academy. What does that feel like when all is said and done and you've saved a life? It's honestly one of the best feelings in the world. Few moments will ever come close, except maybe.
4: Oh my God.
7: This one we invited Miles to stop by the gym. It was their first meeting. I love you man, you You know I love you. (laughs) After quadruple bypass surgery, John says he's feeling better than ever and looks forward to getting back on the court. And if you're reffing another game that Miles is playing in and he commits a foul, safe to say you'll look the other way. Safe to say, not. <laughs> oh, come on, what's the guy got to do? <laughs> I love him, but he's not getting a fraudulent call. Fine I by Miles. Love you too, man. Because he's already had the best game of his career.
4: <laughs> I'm so grateful for you. I'm totally
7: Steve Hartman Lord, you. on the road in Jamestown, New York.
3: We'll be right back. Finally tonight, the northern lights could be moving south this week, thanks to a rare geomagnetic storm. Aurora Borealis are normally only seen around the Arctic. This week, they could be seen in Oregon, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. And that's tonight's CBS Evening News. For Nora O'Donnell, I'm Margaret Brennan. I'll see you Sunday on Face the Nation. Good night.